Hi everyone, uh, welcome back to Hypothesis. This is our second episode and we're talking about GMOs, which are genetically modified organisms. Yeah, exactly. Genetically modified organisms, so back to genetics, because that's what I love talking about. Um, kind of. <laughs> Anyways, when we think of GMOs, usually people tend to think of, I think, stuff that's really bad, like food, that like you don't want to eat it if it has GMOs in it. And, mm. People assume know, it's like toxic. Yeah, it's like yeah. some, yeah, toxic, which... It isn't always, and I would understand where, you know, people, where their fears would come from, but I think a lot of the time they don't fully understand what it is or what it means. Um, but yeah, so there are obviously some things that could go wrong when you're genetically modifying, but if something is going to go to market and something is going to be available to the public, usually there's going to be lots of work put into it beforehand and like it's going to be tried and tested like so many times to make sure that it's safe. Mm. Uh, well, one would hope anyways. Mm. <laughs> um, but one thing that um, is pretty famous, I think, in when it comes to genetically modified, let's say, plants and specifically food, is this thing called golden rice. Yes. I don't know if you've... <laughs> coolest it. thing ever. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, it's called golden rice because it looks kind of uh, an orangey colour and that's because um, basically they introduced the precursor of vitamin A called beta-keratin. I think is what it's called and that's what gives it like the, the orangey colour. Um, so basically they put in beta keratin into the edible part of the rice and so when you eat the rice um, you will break down this beta keratin and like you know metabolise it into vitamin A and it's basically used in places where you know they might not have a very varied diet when and you know not getting all the nutrients they need and mm. so by providing something like vitamin a through you know rice and its precursor then it's you know helpful to their community yeah i, I remember reading that it was a pretty major cause of blindness for a while a lack of vitamin yeah. a in, yeah in, night blindness is right yeah oh night blindness okay. i think so I, yeah. I think vitamin a is night blindness yeah. yeah no that makes sense yeah so um yeah, so it helps with stuff like that and like malnutrition and mm. so yeah, so definitely plants, um, genetically modified foods aren't always bad, you know, like yeah. people want to stay well away, but they're, they're not always bad. Um, and when it comes to genetically modifying plants, you can have other things like um, resistance to stress. Uh, resistance that would be nice I'd like a bit of that yeah I know but listen we all need a bit of that in our lives so what do you mean then by resistant to stress in a plant context <laughs> well, assuming so, plants aren't stressing out about you yeah know. so plants are um, obviously they don't move like animals as in we mm. can if we're in an environment that maybe there's drought for example we can potentially get up and leave and go somewhere where that's not a problem. Uh, plants can't do that. And so yeah. they need to respond in specific, like there's certain ways. So it depends on the stress. Usually it's an environmental stress. Um, and so it'll help them react faster or um, have them so that they are already ready to respond to that stress before it even happens. And another stress could be insects or like, herbivores you know people mm. like, not people whatever and, and <laughs> vegetarians animals, yeah something just munching on the plant yeah um and so that they can respond to it and yeah you can make them like insect resistance um and like i mentioned earlier with the uh, beta keratin you can improve nutrition like improve the nutritional value of foods by yeah. genetically modifying them right so, yeah. yeah 
Um, and then speaking of, you know, insects and <laughs> insecticides and that sort of thing, obviously that is a major advantage that you don't want to be spraying your plants with insecticides. Yeah. If you don't have to, you could give them some sort of inherent resistance. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm going to talk about something uh, sort of more on the animal side of things. Well, insects, where they're making these things called gene drives okay. um, to genetically modify mosquitoes. And they're doing this in order to, uh, largely it's to prevent disease. So obviously we know mosquitoes are carriers of things like Zika virus um, malaria, yeah. um, which is a parasite, you know, th- those things kill so many people a year and, and, and cause, mm-hmm. you know, malformities, all sorts of terrible things. So, uh, yeah, it's a very different approach to something like a vaccine yeah. where you're actually targeting the organism that's spreading the disease itself. So the definition of a gene drive that I have here is that a gene drive is a genetic modification designed to spread through a population at higher than normal rates of inheritance. Yeah, I think people sometimes call it like a selfish element. Yes, so I've like, seen that as well. Yeah, yeah, so like it, I don't know, wants to pass like just that part on or like that gene. Or exactly, yeah. Is. So it's really interesting how they get this to work. So obviously you can't, you know, individually modify every mm-hmm. mosquito in the world. You're going to need something like this that spreads um, so they essentially use CRISPR, which is like, you know, gene modifying technology yeah. uh, to either silence a gene or to insert a new one. Um, and in the next generation, the gene drive, this component they insert, um, copies itself onto the partner chromosome. So obviously every chromosome, there's pairs of chromosomes. Yeah. We talked a little bit about chromosomes last time. Um, so it essentially copies itself to make sure it's on both chromosomes. So essentially, instead of having a 50% chance of inheriting a certain gene like you normally would, yeah. you have a 100% chance of inheriting that. Because whether you get it from the first or second chromosome in that pair, yeah. you're getting it. So yeah. all the offspring of these um, of, of these insects that have this gene are going to also um, have it. So when you're saying that it copies itself, does it copy itself in the original, say, mosquito that you mutate or like that you modify or does it happen like in every generation where there's let's say you only get one of them will it make another or do you know that <laughs> um i'm not actually too sure I, I think it's that um when they when they insert it it then um yeah copies itself so then i think it's at the stage of then when they reproduce and the offspring then have one copy then at that stage it yeah. you know copies itself. i don't know actually what stage of development that yeah. happens at or anything yeah. i just know that it does copies out to make sure that it's always on both chromosomes so even in the in offspring it'll be on both yeah oh even on the, yeah, uh, in yeah. the offspring yeah yeah so that's what keeps it mm-hmm. um yeah yeah taking over the population so then you know what's the point of doing this of having this gene that spreads throughout the whole population so there's several different applications um the main one as i said is elimination of uh, insect-borne diseases so this can be done in a few ways one of them is by um finding what it is exactly about the mosquito that maybe makes, let's say, Zika virus um, able to be carried by the mosquito. So actually change something in the mosquito that means it can't carry Zika virus anymore. Mm -hmm. And if that spreads through the whole mosquito population, then Zika virus will have to find a new way to be carried by mosquitoes or it might just not be able to be carried by mosquitoes anymore. Um, It can also be used, however, to um, control invasive species. Like, for example, they can make females non-viable which would oh, kill all the species. Yeah. So essentially, yeah, if... So the males pass on this gene that means that the female can give birth, but only to males. So then over time, you're going to have this population that declines and declines. Yeah. Um, because obviously you don't have a, enough females around yeah. and then the population is going to die. And that's actually what's being tried um, for some of the gene drives, even against infectious disease, because sometimes they can't find, or it's not easy to change something that makes it 
so the virus can't be carried by the mosquitoes. So they're actually just yeah. wiping out that population, just saying, yeah. look, it's too dangerous. The virus is going to find another way to infect this mosquito. So how about we just wipe out the mosquito altogether? Mm. Now, we're going to talk about the implications of that, because that's obviously something that yeah. you have to take with a lot of caution. You don't just want to be wiping out species left, right, and center. No, definitely not. Um, and then another thing they're used for is to reverse insecticide resistance. So, um, you know, in areas where there's a lot of insecticide used to make sure that, you know, plants aren't destroyed or infected by insects, sometimes the insects have evolved to actually be able to get through the pesticides and actually eat the plants anyway. Yeah. So you can actually genetically modify them to forget almost how to do that. You yeah. know, that they're, they don't no longer possess that genetic information that allowed them to ignore the insects insecticides so you're genetically modifying the insects in, the, in that case yeah you're genetically modifying the insects to sort of go backwards in evolutionary yeah. time to not know how to yeah, yeah. Uh, get through the insecticide so um one successful experiment that they did this gene drive thing in was uh they modified a sex-linked gene so you know throw back to last episode <laughs> um that made female mosquitoes have some male features and that meant they were unable to bite or to lay eggs Oh. Yeah. So essentially, uh, so if you had a male that had this gene drive, yeah, they would impregnate a female. The female uh, would have offspring as normal, male and female. Mm. But all of its female offspring would look like males. They would have the same mouth as a male, which yeah. is a mouth that isn't able to bite us, so yeah. it can't transmit disease. And those male-looking females also couldn't lay, lay their own eggs. Oh my god! Yeah, so um, it meant that you're sort of on two fronts tackling disease because you're yeah. you're slowly, well, not maybe not too slowly, but you're wiping out the species eventually because yeah. your less females are going to be around, yeah. and any females that are around are going to be ones that just cannot give us disease because they can't bite people anymore. They have like a completely different mouth structure. The paper was really cool, like yeah. zooming in and showing how the females looked That's exactly crazy. like the males from up close. Yeah. Um, so even though the gene drive made the females unable to lay eggs, it still spreads pretty quickly because any of the males who had the drive can still impregnate females. So that's how it gets yeah. passed on. Because at first I was a bit confused thinking, well, how does it carry on if the females can't, yeah. you know, have offspring? But it's the fact that it carries on the males and they keep, in, you know, impregnating the females that haven't been infected yet until yeah. the whole population crashes. Um, so, yeah, there's obviously quite a few concerns about this yeah. technology. Um, like the ecological impacts could be yeah, very that's widespread. About. Yeah, yeah. So it's, be the first thing it's sometimes my mind. yeah, yeah. It's sometimes hard to think of like just the massive amount of interactions that every organism has with so many other organisms. Yeah. You know, like wiping out mosquitoes. Just the first thing I think of is things like frogs, even in rainforests. Yeah. Some of their, you know, chief sources of food sometimes are things like mosquitoes. Mm. So if you just wipe out a whole mosquito population, you could wipe out the frogs. Yeah. What happens if there's no frogs? Yeah. Um, you know, other insects could then uh, take hold. There could be way more flies than yeah. there were before or And when you were saying else. that, something I was just thinking, I was like, oh, maybe if you were against genetically modified organisms, you might say, oh, like if the frog is eating the mosquito that has been genetically modified. I don't even know if frogs eat mosquitoes, by the way. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Let's just say they do for this yeah. hypothetical example. But like your frog is eating the mosquito, the mosquito has been genetically modified. Then does that mean that the frog somehow is going to be affected by the fact that the mosquito is genetically modified mm. and just so like just there I was thinking that and I don't think that that would actually affect the frog no. because it's not like they're going to take up the DNA and unless exactly the, they're just eating yeah, it yeah and un unless the genetically modified thing 
like something is put in maybe to make them toxic somehow like yeah. that would be from like if i think that would be the only reason that it would be bad for like as in have a knock-on effect yeah yeah Do you know yeah and um, if you, yeah if it's not like a gene drive situation where yeah. you're wiping out the population then yeah, yeah any genetic modification you would think if you ate it would still be fine yeah. so i think people do have this perception maybe people who you know don't know a lot about genetics yeah. that like a genetic modification is almost like a nuclear thing you know mm. what i mean like it's sort of like this organism is now a bit radioactive that if I eat it, I'm going to be genetically modified yeah. in some way. Whereas really, you know, it's, it's not like that at all. No, it's not. The only, the only change to, to you would be what does that gene produce? Yeah. Like the, whatever you add in or whatever you take out, what are the effects on the thing that you're genetically modifying? Not on you. Yeah. You know? So in the case of golden rice, like the only change is that when you eat it, your body now also has to digest some of that beta carotene yeah, and make vitamin A, which yeah. is just a positive change. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I think um, people need to also realize the just how specific genetic modification has become. Yeah. Because I think uh, like even in the past, selective breeding, that whole thing, like why a lot of plants nowadays you know have these massive fruit and that sort of thing is yeah. because they, Why just, they taste so good like yeah. you know when you see the wild strawberries and they're really small and like yeah funky looking <laughs> like they started out like that like you know you you pick the traits you want you breed yeah what you want same with like animals as well like cows and sheep and whatever yeah that was all selective breeding we no, had is, no actual specific genetic knowledge yeah. yeah which is kind of i mean it's not i don't think it counts as genetic manipulation um mm. because i was thinking about this if you cross to for example like plant species or, or to any species you, you get a hybrid so crossing them is just breeding them yeah you, you get a, a hybrid and then i was thinking there's this word chimera which oh yes yeah and so i was like well what's the difference you know what what, what what's mm. the difference and a chimera is also it's basically when it's been genetically modified so this organism actually has genetic information from two organisms Whereas, so the hybrid does as well, but for the hybrid, it's they were bred to have the two. Yeah, yeah, we did a little bit on this recently. Whereas, like, the the chimera is, like, you're, let's say, injecting DNA or you're, like, manipulating it sort of in the lab. That's my understanding of it. I I could be mistaken. Yeah, from, from what I understand, the chimera is more that rather than having, like the combination of two organisms in an offspring, yeah. like where you're just crossing. A chimera is like you have... Like the, the way I, I was taught in a lecture recently enough was uh, like a chimeric mess was, let's say you had a red organism and a blue organism. Yeah. Then you would have, if you had the chimera... It, like, sorry, if you had the normal cross, it would be purple. It would, be, it would have a bit of red and blue, yeah. so it would be a combination. Yeah. Whereas the chimera would be red and blue yeah. in different places. Patches. Yeah, yeah, it would have patches. So like... Parts of it are completely like the red organism yeah. and parts of it are completely like the blue organism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have that mix. Exactly, yeah. yeah you know, yeah. it just happens to be in the one organism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, um, yeah. that I just thought that was something that like was kind of cool that I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. But, and, um, yeah. And then, yeah, just back to the, to the gene drives and the concerns there, because it's not even just ecological concerns, you know. You could also force pathogens that you're trying to actually, you know, eliminate through like for example like zika Mm -hmm. if you eliminate the mosquito the idea is you eliminate the main way it gets to humans what you could do is sort of force it to force zika to evolve a different way to infect either some other type of insect Mm -hmm. or some other creature and you could actually make it more virulent so more dangerous um 
because it's actually having to you're sort of forcing it to evolve yeah you know whereas if it spreads normally then usually it has a low enough mutation rate it mutates slowly enough so that's why of course i have to bring things back to vaccines at some stage <laughs> that's why i think vaccines are you know the best solution because ultimately if you do the vaccine thing right you wipe it out completely yeah and um, but this would involve in this case vaccinating organisms that aren't humans because that's where they're coming from yeah um, and i think that's something that people don't think about too often they think of vaccines they think of human vaccines yeah but i think in the future we're gonna to have to more and more come up with some animal vaccines because mm-hmm. uh, that'll actually protect us even more sometimes than human vaccines yeah um if we're early enough uh, and then of course there's the ethical question with gene drives is it okay to wipe out a species do yeah. we have the right to just say you know what that species has given us some yeah, disease i don't, know. I don't want you to exist anymore yeah i mean in a way we've already done done it you know we've wiped out species mostly unintentionally i feel yes. like by knocking down forests yeah. and building things i think yeah but it's a whole other thing not, yeah to, i think it is yeah a different thing to to go out and like yeah my purpose that, is like to that is this. the aim yeah, yeah as opposed to like doing it as like a byproduct of something else like you know yeah i think it's but, definitely something that like needs to be discussed on a wider scale i don't think it should just be left to gene drive scientists to just decide no. amongst themselves <laughs> no. you know what this is cool no, let's wipe out the species no. you need you to have a bigger conversation with you know possibly the whole population of a country you yeah, know i think yeah but then that brings me to the next problem yeah. <laughs> which is that let's say um you have a country like ireland that says we're going to wipe out uh house flies okay. <laughs> let's say yeah. um we're going to put this gene drive that wipes out all the house flies there are house flies that fly between ireland and the uk mm. Does the UK get a say in our wiping out of house flies? So that's going to affect them too. Yeah. Eventually, it's going to spread to their house flies, and yeah. they're going to have no house flies. So yeah. then, at what level is it okay to approve this? Do you need the whole world to approve of any change? Yeah. Because ultimately, all the knock-on effects of the ecological things yeah. could be worldwide. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the whole gene drive yeah. thing to knock out a species. I would personally be opposed. Mm. Yeah. Even I, if I, I, I'm not sure. I think. I think for me, it would really be very situation dependent. Because I think for something like malaria, obviously malaria vaccine efforts are still ongoing and they're making a lot of progress yeah. and a malaria vaccine would be ideal. And yes, gene drives might not be a solution to knocking out malaria because it might just evolve a different way. Yeah. But if it still saved millions of lives while we figure out how to do a vaccine in the meantime, you know, mm. I think it would be hard to say no to that. But again, I the ecological think, amp- yeah, applications could I mean. actually I, I feel hurt like more it would people have than anything. So many more knock-on effects than we can even like consider. That, yeah. Like stuff that we don't know, and it could happen even like years down the line, where we like we won't even be around to see the consequences of what we did. You know? Yeah, it is really hard to know because, but it's also hard to when you have so many lives on the line to just make that call. Like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen in the future yeah. when there's th- something happening right so, now. But the thing is, as well, there's so many lives being lost over for so many different reasons yeah and like you can't go out killing everything that's making you know all, all the little problems in the world like you know i just yeah. i just don't think that that would be i don't think that would be the best solution or one i, I don't yeah i don't think i wouldn't agree with it myself <laughs> yeah I, but, yeah um, i would sort of think it's situation dependent but i think it also highlights the importance of uh, basic research because again you know people always talk about you know uh, the difference between basic research and applied research mm. where most of the time you get money to do research if it's applied if yeah. you're like this is going to help solve this disease yeah. or this is going to yeah. um stop this illness uh but i feel like people undervalue people like zoologists because 
yeah. you know, they study species and people are like, who, who gives a crap? Yeah. Whereas then you look it's, at a global problem like this, if we understood all the interactions between yeah. loads of species, we'd have a much better idea of, is it okay to do the gene drive thing? Yeah. Is it going to be... Because it might have a massive impact, but something that by introducing something else, we can, mm-hmm. we can offset it. So we can yeah. actually just get mostly positives from it. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to involve loads of different fields coming together. People who understand animal yeah. behavior, which is a topic that we're probably going to cover in yeah. another episode. Um, people who understand diseases, um, yeah. ecology, all these things, climate change even, yeah. all of that are going to have to come together. So, I, I, yeah, I think it'll, it requires a lot of collaboration and shouldn't just be down to a few people in one specific field no, being like, not. I want this to, yeah, to be the solution. Not. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then one last concern as well, uh, which drives to all concerns yeah, actually, yeah. is uh, the fact that if this technology exists, and obviously you know with science being quite an open thing, most people can you know do their research, figure out how things are done. What's stopping an independent you know so-called biohacker who just wants to start a gene drive? Yeah. And release it into the population. What's going to stop them if they have the right equipment? Yeah. And CRISPR, you know, is a pretty easy thing to do relative to a lot of biological yeah. uh, processes like if you have enough you know basic enough lab biology lab equipment you can do a CRISPR mm. uh, modification so you know that could be potential for bioterrorism in the future yeah you could be wiping out a species or creating some sort of not very nice mutation in a species and getting it to spread amongst the whole thing so that's also you know quite quite a concern um, at the moment now any gene drives they're working on like I know the ones that they're looking at to you know that make those mosquitoes like I mm-hmm. said the ones yeah. the females that look male and can't really reproduce properly yeah. they have um, they also have a reverse gene drive uh-huh. so uh, before they test anything or put anything into any population they have a reverse one okay. so that they can put that gene in and then it spreads and essentially undoes to an extent yeah. the damage of the first one it counteracts the first gene drive so if you have both it's like you have no gene drive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But the thing is, if you're someone who's like a biohacker who's trying to just make a mess, you're yeah. not going to come up with a reverse one. Yeah. But I wonder to what extent, if there was something like that spreading, could scientists jump to that challenge and come up with a reverse one quickly to stop mm-hmm. it? But then it's just going to be this back and forth between gene drives and reverse gene drives. Yeah, it just becomes a, a scary technology. Yeah. It's, it's something you could talk about for a long time, but yeah. I think we've touched on a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the main <laughs> points there. Yeah. I, you could do a whole episode on gene drives, probably. Yeah, no, yeah, no that's yeah. kind of scary. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be talked about more, and everyone should make up their own minds on what they think a, a yeah. gene drive is. But also, it should be informed by expert opinion, and expert opinion doesn't really know <laughs> what to think of it yet. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, an expert opinion is definitely not our opinion. <laughs> no, definitely not. Don't listen to us about anything. Um, but do listen. Keep listening. Yeah, yeah. Keep listening for interesting discussions. Yeah. Um, so obviously we've talked a tiny bit about you know uh, genetically modifying organisms, but we haven't really talked about how you would go about doing that. Mm. Um, and so in the past, um, it, they used a traditional method, is what it's called, um, where you basically just randomly put. Uh, DNA into a pronucleus so that's where you have you know your egg and your sperm they're coming together and before the genetic material fuses so the genetic material of the sperm is already in the egg and the genetic material of the egg is also there but Mm. you insert DNA into I think it's into the sperm 
pro-nucleus. Okay. Yeah. So you have it in the sperm. And then they fuse and then you basically have inserted your DNA. But Uh, the thing is, it's just random. So you need to wait for there to be a random break in the DNA so that the piece that you put in will just go into it. And... It just um, randomly integrate into the genome somewhere. At any level, it yeah. It can go anywhere. So it, it means that you won't have, you know, it won't, the gene won't be expressed maybe in the right place. It might not be expressed at the right time. Yeah, that sounds it, very messy. Yeah, it might not be expressed at the right level. Because, um, you know, or it might you need, be expressed in somewhere that interrupts another important exactly. gene, even. That's yeah. one of the other big issues is that, yeah, yeah it has knock on effects. And so that was the traditional method. And surprisingly, <laughs> like, the traditional they, method sucks. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but they did come up with some good models. Mm. Um, yeah, so, it, which kind of shocks me because, like, that's so random. Like, <laughs> Surely there's um, a lot of trial and error yeah, there. Yeah, how could you randomly put in? Yeah, definitely lots of trial and error, lots of different types. Um, mm. And it would also take a long time to make because yeah. you're waiting for it to, to just randomly go in to the right place at the right time. Um, yeah. And the, one example is for well they genetically modified mice for motor neuron disease and they have like one... to give them motor neuron disease yes. yes so yeah so basically because they want to just to study the disease maybe find therapeutic stuff like that and that that mice was produced with uh, traditional methods and it basically was sent then all around the world to all the different labs studying motor neuron disease and mm. they're using that which is pretty pretty insane because like it just so in my mind so many things can go wrong you know like when yeah. you're doing it that way but now we have more targeted ways of genetically modifying organisms, like you were saying, CRISPR. So that just won the Nobel yeah. Prize. Yeah, Charpentier and Doudna, yeah. 2020 uh, Nobel yeah, Prize. Yeah, I, I think that's imp- it's important to say as well, the Nobel Prize, usually you don't get the Nobel Prize even for a big discovery for like maybe yeah. 40 years or something like yeah. after you discover it because they wait to see if it's going to have a big impact mm-hmm. on your field as a whole but CRISPR when was that I think it was 2016 that's so recent I could be wrong and only so I don't want to yeah yeah but But only relatively in the 2000s definitely yeah yeah Yeah. so like in let's say under 20 years yeah less than 20 years which is mad um, um, yeah. it, it won the Nobel Prize which shows just how big an impact it's had on biology even in a short amount of time yeah it's just revolutionized so many different fields yeah it has so CRISPR it stands for clustered regularly interspaced short palindromic repeat this rolls off Um, the tongue it really does (laughs) Um, and it's a CRISPR Cas editing system so Cas is a protein that cuts DNA well actually it it can cut or it can basically cut RNA DNA any of those kind of well what are they called nucleic acids nucleic acids that's the one (laughs) so Cas cuts nucleic acids and it's originally actually used as sort of an adaptive immune system, we'll say, oh, yeah. in quotations, <laughs> adaptive <laughs> immune system uh, for bacteria. Yeah, um, I, yeah I, did, I did know a bit about this because obviously I had to know the immunology angle. Yeah, that, so, yeah. yeah it's, which is pretty exciting because when, I don't know, when, you, when I heard straight away, like some, if you just hear, oh, CRISPR-Cas, like they invented this thing to genetically modify yeah, you. Yeah, they didn't like, invent it at yeah, all. It, yeah, it didn't. It did, they stole it. it. They, no, well, they didn't steal They adapted it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, they... Basically, in bacteria, bacteria can get attacked by viruses, or they can be, yeah. yeah. Viruses basically cause disease. They're called phages. And um, the bacteria basically have come up with this system, which is not actually coming up with, again, with the yeah, they, they, they evolved it. <laughs> they yeah. evolved this system to where they can target phage um, genomes 
so that can be RNA or DNA, and cut out parts and integrate it into their own bacterial genome so that when the phage infects again, they can recognize it. Ah, uh, yes. And so that's why... Um, so they can recognize it and then cut it, cut it, break it up so yeah. and degrade it so that the phage can't attack them. Yeah, so from what I understand, it's like, yeah, so they eventually were able to recognize specific sequences that exactly. were like, this means it's a phage, so cut here. Yeah. So we're just essentially, well, the people who discovered, yeah. or whatever you want to say, CRISPR, are just like adapting that to recognize just sequences that we want to modify so it can exactly. be anything. So this is the same, you're just getting a, a break in the DNA so that you can either put in a gene, just disrupt a gene, take out a gene, whatever, but this is targeted. So you can put your gene, so you can cut the sequence exactly where you want it. They also have other targeted ways of modifying um, genes, which involve endonucleases, which again, just they just cut um, at a specific site. But for um, CRISPR, it's, so those other methods use proteins, but CRISPR is RNA guided. Yes. So, the it it has a piece of RNA which will match up with the RN, with the DNA that you want to cut, mm. and so it'll cut at a specific sequence. So like that, you can get um, expression of your gene at the right place at the right time yeah, and yeah. the right amount of expression. So yeah. all the things it, that you want. It's quite quite the difference from the traditional method. Yeah, it's where just, you're like, just like I'm putting my DNA in here <laughs> and hoping crossed. it goes in somewhere nice. Yeah. Whereas now we can say exactly where we want the cut to happen and where we want the DNA to be inserted. Exactly. It's so cool. And so the main, well, from what I understand, the main system being used is the CRISPR-Cas9 system. Yeah. And Cas9 cuts DNA. Um, so, so... I suppose that would make sense as to why people maybe in the past would have been sort of a bit scared about GMOs, you know, mm. like we don't know how you're going to manipulate this, like you're putting in the DNA randomly, it could go anywhere, it can cause this, that and the other, but now it's way more targeted, you can mm. sort of almost predict what the effects are going to be if yeah. you understand, you know, where you're putting the gene and what's kind of going on around it. So I think that the fact that it's it's more targeted, it might make people a little less scared. Um, yeah. Just because I feel like we, we kind of understand it more. Maybe that's a naive no, I, I think, I, think I think even the fact that now, like let's say with genetically modified plants, we can put in the genetic modification, like in different seeds, grow the plants, like all of this in a lab. Yeah. You know, look at the effects, be like, everything is fine. Yeah. These seeds are fine. Let's mm -hmm. make more of them. Yeah. You know, like it's it's something that is tested. Yeah. It's not like they just someone, you know, sticks some DNA into some cells in a lab and then puts it on the shelf. Exactly. You know, yeah. I think that's also something that people, yeah. you know, don't don't realize how you know rigorous this process is. It's so hard to get things approved, especially mm -hmm. things like got to do with genetic modification or anything like that. It is so strict. Just like getting a drug approved. Yeah. Um, if you're putting something out there into the market, it's not just gonna. A very there's not going to be many governments out there because even golden rice yeah. it hasn't been as successful as it should be because there's a fear by a lot of countries to implement yeah. it because unfortunately um you know politics and science coexist yeah and if if people in the country don't understand genetic modification and think it's really dangerous mm -hmm. and you're a political party that's in power do you want to be the one to bring in these plants because yeah. even though they'll do a, a world of good prevent malnutrition you're not going to get your job back because people are going to vote you out yeah. if they if you don't explain it to them properly. Yeah. So that's why some of the most vulnerable countries that really need some of these things actually haven't taken them on. Mm. And part of the reason as well that those countries seem to cite, and I think is a fair reason, 
is why aren't you eating this in Western countries? Why aren't you eating this in rich countries? And it's because a lot of our own countries, you know, are privileged enough to not have to make that decision. Yeah. We aren't malnutritioned, so we don't need Mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to eat this genetically modified food. But then that gives other countries the impression of why are you not eating it? Is it because it's dangerous? Yeah. So I think we need to, you know, set an example and, and start, you know... Yeah. practicing what we preach yeah, and actually yeah. using using genetically modified organisms and understanding the science and communicating that and making sure mm-hmm. that everyone understands it and that it brings the, the world the good that it should and mm-hmm. it shouldn't just be kept in labs as this theoretical solution to malnutrition yeah i know yeah, i know that one of our lecturers is, is very big on plant development and he says like you know it's an area that you really should well he obviously wants us to study because yeah. that's what he likes <laughs> but um um that he's saying you know it, yeah malnutrition it's a very very big problem you know it, it yeah. leads to the death of so many people especially young people um mm-hmm. and even let's say if, if you don't die your development can be hindered in so many different ways and so through you know understanding how plants work and how we can modify them and so that it's like, extremely you know, important research yeah. yeah um yeah i also had something else to say that i can no longer remember oh actually yeah so I was, I don't know where I read this, or no, maybe it was in lectures as well, that there is this, so obviously global warming, big issue, climate change, etc. <laughs> yeah, but, proud um, of that. Yeah, so this, they're, they're looking at genetically modifying plants so that the roots will retain more CO2. Uh, yeah, because I think I've heard that. Obviously, I think you actually told me that. Yeah, that's why so, I heard it. <laughs> yeah, probably. But like, that's because it, it's actually, I would never think of something like this, but so... Um, if there's lots of CO2 in the atmosphere, you know, we're cutting down trees and plants and stuff. So that releases more CO2 because we're usually burning it as fossil fuels or whatever. Mm. Fossil fuels are being used as well. Um, sorry, that's that's an incorrect statement. We're not burning plants. Is that fossil fuels if you burn a plant? No, it's not. <laughs> if you burn wood. <laughs> no, I just mean if you burn wood. Ignore what I just said. If you just burn wood, you're releasing CO2. Yeah. Uh, cutting down trees stops you from absorbing more CO2 because they yes. use that um what do they use it for is it aerobic no it's not photosynthesis Photosynthesis. that's so (laughs) god i clearly know what i'm talking about yeah you're right they use for photosynthesis but anyways the point is that we could say let's just plant a load of trees that'll mean that you know we're absorbing all the co2 from the atmosphere fine we'll fix the problem no bother but the thing is one those plants will die because living things die and once they do then they'll be broken down by whatever bacteria, whatever is in the soil, and all that CO2 will be released again. So they're looking uh, in one specific lab that I don't, somewhere in the States, which is very big, but anyways, um, where, yeah, they're basically looking at modifying the roots of plants so that they'll retain carbon dioxide even after the plant dies. Oh. And they will slowly release it over time. So... Which is a, it's a good idea, you know. Yeah, um, sounds good. It does sound, it sounds good. Um, I don't know. To me, I'm still a bit hesitant. When I heard it, I was like, oh, it's kind of a nice idea, but I don't know if that would really be, I don't know if it's the best idea. Um, I don't know how it could be applied. I just feel like this. It, it's not really solving the problem. It's just prolonging it. You know, it's like, yeah. we'll just deal with it at a later stage. Yeah, because that CO2 is going to eventually have to be released. Yeah, and it even is. If slowly, yeah, yeah, so it's slowly released. But then at what point, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of, you know, solutions to climate change, I think a lot of people, this is a very different conversation yeah. now, but I think a lot of people are relying on a solution to climate change. For someone to go, look what I discovered, it's yeah. fine. 
and a lot of these things in the meantime are just buying us time. Yeah. But I do think that's still important it research. Is. No, you know, it is. It because is. we need time. Yeah, we do. Um, we do. Because if we're waiting for some big breakthrough to save us, it hasn't come yet. No, so we I need don't. to buy as yeah. much time as possible exactly. because in the meantime, you will have global warming that will lead to displacement of many people, yeah. will lead to even more malnutrition and yeah. land loss, all these horrible things. Yeah. Um, but so that's very off topic very <laughs> off topic just something yeah. that I thought of but um, yeah so when you're genetically modifying things um, it can happen in vitro usually so like cells on a yeah, dish yeah cell lines and stuff yeah, yeah. Um, or in vivo which is in a living organism but now that I'm thinking about it um, well okay because so <laughs> if you're because I was like surely how would you genetically modify something in like a living thing but yeah. i think you can inject it with different like say a virus because some viruses um they will integrate their genome into yours and stuff like that and they mess with your dna yeah so a lot of times it's done at an early stage like an embryonic sort yeah. of thing so if you like at an but, embryo stage you only but that's what i'm saying that's, that's yeah. in vitro is it not at an embryonic stage because if because well maybe it's not actually maybe well, that is in vivo no, that, yeah, doing I think it in a dish and then injecting it back into the yeah well, it's in vivo once you involve a living organism so even though you might start uh, yeah, it in yeah, a dish yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, once you bring right. the yeah, living yeah. organism in it's in vivo yeah yeah so yeah you can genetically modify like the egg oh yeah like I was saying earlier you genetically modify the egg then you put it back into like the female mouse or whatever and she'll produce yeah you're right yeah <laughs> so uh, yeah and then I think it's important to talk about why so yes. <laughs> I think. You know, people talk about scientists genetically modifying mice and things like that. Mm. Like, we don't do it for the crack, you know? It's not like we're just out here, like, seeing, you know, what different modifications will do. Mm. Um, It's all done for specific reasons. Like, for example, um, it really helps us in uh, imaging. So, for example, like, if we're trying to see what a certain process in the cell looks like, we could genetically modify... Um, the the cell to produce something called a green fluorescent protein, yeah. GFP. So if you look up GFP mice on Google Images, you'll see all sorts of <laughs> pictures of uh, glowing green mice or like blue mice or different colors that sort of glow in the dark. And again, scientists didn't just do this to be like, look at this mouse, it's glowing green. Yeah. Um, it's because they're making certain proteins in that mouse glow that then when you look at things under the microscope, um, let's say the protein was involved in the cell membrane. Yeah. You can see, okay, so what does the cell membrane do when I add this? Mm-hmm. And then you can look under the microscope, see, because it's glowing, you can see it now, what, like, what the membrane does. Does it fold in on itself? Does it become a certain shape? You know, so all of this, this is how we figure out so many things in biology by genetically modifying. And it's yeah. not just about producing light either. Um, a really important thing in biology is knockouts. So knockouts are when you essentially, yeah, knock out a gene. So, for example, there are loads of diseases that are caused by knockouts. So if you're missing, let's say, gene A, then you get this disease because you're not making this protein that you're supposed to make normally. So as you said with the whole thing with, um, what do you say, motor neuron disease? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so that, that, for example, if you were knocking out genes to try to create motor neuron disease, then you can study that in mice. Yeah. You can give mice a disease that's very similar or is essentially the same as human motor neuron disease and then even try different treatments or just try to see how it works so that you can help someone in the future figure out how to target that. Yeah. So, 
yeah, extremely important. And then even for studies of the immune system, you know, that's what I like to do. Um, it's been important to see, so what happens if you don't have this immune cell? If you wipe out this gene, you'll never make this immune cell. So then in the context of different diseases, we can see, oh, this immune cell is really important. Mm. So let's see how we can get a vaccine to target this. Because yeah. we know that when you don't have this cell, you die. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it, you can't, you know, overemphasize how important gene knockout studies and just genetic modification of animals is to research. Yeah, for research, it's, it's very important. I don't yeah. even know as well if we mentioned what a gene does. Like, I, sorry, because I was just <laughs> realized now, like, we're basically done, almost finished talking. We didn't even say, because I don't know if people know that a gene, gene basically produces a protein and then a protein carries out a specific function and... They basically do everything. They basically proteins do everything almost. Yeah. Um, that's a big sweeping statement. I'll probably get pattern <laughs> for that. It's not the truth, but they do a lot. But yeah. yeah, research is a big thing. Yeah. So to understand cellular mechanisms, genetic manipulation is so important for that. Um, a really kind of, I don't know, jarring example of that is um, the study of development. So you yes, genetically. Yes, I remember these lectures. Yeah, you genetically <laughs> modify embryos um uh, the hox genes is what they're called um and you can the one that i mean i i feel like everyone will remember it to, yeah, if, if you're it. if you're in this lecture or had a similar lecture yeah. and you saw this picture you, yeah. you probably didn't forget so it. it's a fruit fly so it's it's called drosophila drosophila is just i suppose the scientific name for it and this specific one that they made is called drosophila antenopedia where basically they manipulated the the hox genes so that the fly developed legs instead of antenna on its face yeah <laughs> and you just see the photo the f- it's you can so look weird it up, like it yeah it's so drosophila antennapedia there's the picture of the normal fly with the normal antenna and right beside it the picture of the manipulated fly with legs coming out of its head yeah and like just by manip i think it was only it's only yeah. just one gene or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's important. They were showing the importance of Hox genes because Hox genes are essentially like, from what I understand, like they coordinate development. Exactly, so, for yeah. example, like if you have a Hox gene, you know they're under your like for flies, it's like under the abdomen. That's where you're going to develop your legs. Yeah. So they essentially move things around to be like instead of the Hox gene for antenna here, yeah. let's put the one for legs here and see if we're right that yeah. that makes legs. And they were right because then the, the fly Crazy. was fine apart from the fact that it had legs growing out of its face. Yeah, which is... Not fine, I guess. No. Like, cause <laughs> I went, when I see that photo, the first thing I think of was like a person with like legs coming out of, I don't know, its <laughs> eyes or something. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. But obviously, um, yeah, it was a fly. So I don't know. The, the No, I'm just saying that, uh, not that it's just a fly, but that... <laughs> The, yeah. the the developmental process is different and I don't think that it would work in a human, for example, to just grow legs out of your face. Like, I, I don't know. I would need to study development more to understand that. But Yeah, I, I do think that the fly, like it, it is used a lot for development studies and yeah. things like the zebrafish are as well because of how simple they are. Yeah. Um, well, simple, simple, yeah, simple, yeah. In, compared to humans, yeah, yeah. they are still extremely complex yeah. and it took a long time to <laughs> figure <laughs> things out. But when you compare it to a human, it's mm-hmm. uh, yeah, a whole other level. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then, so yeah, uh, I just, I don't know, this doesn't fit in nicely anyway, so I'm just going to go out and say it. Um, that, you know, we, we do get lots of things from genetic modification that are good. And mm. one of, the, well, as in, obviously, 
we could argue that most of it is kind of good. Like we're saying the golden rice, some people might be opposed or whatever. But I think one that maybe is kind of universally agreed upon is insulin. Yes. Um, so people who are diabetic, some of them uh, would take, would get insulin. Um, and they used to get it from, I think it was pigs. Yeah, or pig like pancreas. a cow pancreas. Yeah, pig yeah. or cow pancreas. Yeah. I remember um, seeing a picture. It was horrible of yeah. they just had I think it was from a slaughterhouse or something like that or no it's actually maybe a pharmaceutical company that was doing this because they had to at the time just slaughtering pigs taking the pancreas and sort of throwing the rest of the pig away yeah like, um and it's just massive pile of pig pancreas I think I saw in this picture that was like I don't know how many hundreds or thousands yeah. of pigs had to be killed for but, insulin yeah for yeah. insulin and so they would use that insulin but the thing is as well that's pig insulin yeah like it's not human insulin and so yeah. it's similar but it's it's not identical yeah and so what they came what scientists came up with was genetically modifying bacteria so like we said the, a gene just produces protein so if you just put in the gene the human gene for mm. insulin into bacteria the bacteria are going to now start producing the human insulin, insulin yeah. protein oh well is it a protein yeah yeah okay thank god <laughs> imagine <laughs> but anyways the bacteria produce human insulin which then obviously can be, you know, it can be made in, in huge quantities. There's not that sort of animal death or whatever associated with the old methods. But um, yeah, that's just something that I thought was kind of kind of cool. Yeah, because um, I think a lot of the time genetic modification, sometimes when people talk about animal rights and stuff, they talk about all the negative things mm -hmm. in genetic modification. And yes, there are negatives. There's a whole discussion to be had over animal studies um you know whether or not it's okay yeah. personally i do think it is very much case by case i don't think you should be genetically modifying animals or using animals in studies unless you need to and there is a debate over do we do it more than we need to and yeah. there's going to be things in the future where we might be able to do things on computers yeah that's a whole thing but this was a case where you had just a massive benefit to animals everywhere because yeah. you no longer had to kill animals you could just make it in bacteria and mm. you didn't have to slaughter pigs just for their yeah. pancreas so um you know it, it it does come around eventually and do some benefit for yeah. for everything people don't seem to care about bacteria but that's okay yeah that's okay bacteria that's don't yeah i don't like when, when you when you spray your your kitchen counters and kill 99.9 yeah. you know you, you don't you don't feel like you're carrying out a no. genocide um but uh but you are, so just think yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> the next time you're spraying <laughs> your counters. Um, but yeah, um, another thing, because as you were saying, talking about, about like, should we genetically manipulate, you know, is it mm. overdone or whatever? And some experiments have been done that I suppose they, they just show that this, this can be done, but it doesn't mean it should be done. Right. And I think that cloning is kind of an mm. example of that. Um, I don't know if anyone knows... Dolly the sheep, oh, yeah. most famous cow apparently, or cow? not cow, sorry. <laughs> Dolly the sheep, the most famous cow to ever live. The most famous sheep, sorry, the BBC. The BBC actually said that Dolly the sheep is the most famous sheep in the world, I'm pretty sure. But anyways, she they was- They definitely didn't say cow, no? No, they didn't say cow, but they should have. No, they shouldn't have. Uh, anyways, yeah, it was in 1996. She was the first cloned mammal. Um, and basically- they cloned her from an adult somatic cell, which just means it wasn't an egg or a sperm cell. It was just any other Normal body cell. Yeah. I just don't know which one <laughs> specifically. But anyways, um, they just took the nucleus, basically, 
So they took the nucleus out. Which is where the genetic information is. Yes, for yeah, where all the DNA is, yeah. Um, they took the nucleus out. So they took a cell from one sheep, took the nucleus out, and then they took an egg cell from another sheep, mm. and they took the nucleus it out of that one and put the other one in. Yeah. If that makes sense. So you have a denucleated cell, which is the egg, so... It's, and then they put the nucleus from the other sheep into it. Yeah, so they essentially had like an egg with no... They took the DNA yeah. out of it and put in the... Exactly. Yeah, the put DNA in the from other the other DNA. one. Yeah. yeah, and then they just put that egg back into whatever, like a donor mother or whatever it's called. And they... Surrogate. Yeah. Surrogate. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> a surrogate mother, yeah. Um, but, and yeah, and anyways, she produced, um, eventually, like, baby was born, this is Dolly, and she was the first ever uh, clone sheep. And this was great, like, everyone was, like, unreal, class, yeah. you can do this. Dolly was a fallen celebrity. Yes, but she she actually died kind of early. It was yeah. some sort of degenerative disease, but they actually don't think that that was related to the fact that she, she was, was a clone. clone. Yeah. It's just, it just was kind of coincidence. But, um, and that sounds great, and it sounds, like, amazing, like, we figured out how to do this, but, for, well, first of all, I d- she wasn't fully a clone, because yeah. we actually have DNA ah, within yes. our cell from our mitochondria, which is an organelle, it's, it's basically, it's nothing got to do with the nucleus, but it's found within the egg, and so the mitochondria, the mitochondrial DNA didn't come from the same mother, or, you know, the so same So there's sheep. a little bit of a hybrid in a way as kind well. Kind of, yeah. yeah. But had the mitochondria from one mother exactly. and the DNA from, an, yeah. from a different mother. Yeah, so she was basically a clone, but not 100%. Yes. Um, but then when you look, I was looking at the numbers um, of, so for some of the research, they actually used 277 eggs, you know, wow. to carry out the test. 29 produced viable embryos and only three of them survived until birth and only one survived into adulthood. And so, that was Dolly. Yeah. And that was Dolly. And so it's... Definitely very, a lot of error there. Yeah, so it's very inefficient um, and labor-intensive. Takes a lot of time. Takes Like, you could not implement that. Definitely not into humans. Like, you, no. couldn't, you couldn't even in- implement that, I don't think, into any other animal, really. Like, that's so... Like, from 277 eggs to, to get one sh- sheep that was cloned, you know? Yeah. It wasn't even a perfect clone, you no. know? Um, so it just showed that... You there know, are still problems yeah there. like yeah. that could, it can be done but it's very inefficiently and, and it doesn't mean that it should be done at all um, and there are other ish, like not issues but like things where it would show that it's not a, a complete clone which is the cat there's like a cat and they called it a carbon copy it was like again genet- a genetic clone so it was genetically identical to the mother but it looked different because hmm. of X inactivation, which we kind of mentioned last time. Uh, but the, um, the colouring of the cat's fur is found on the X chromosome. Oh. And so depending on which X was inactivated, there would be different colours. Ah, um, I see. Cells, wow. Which kind of is... That's really cool. Yeah. So even though genetically it's identical, it didn't even look identical to the mother. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's just... That is really cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, completely unrelated but I know that uh, well not completely unrelated but in there's a museum I think it's in Edinburgh where yeah. they have uh, sort of an exhibition on Dolly the Sheep um, no way yeah yeah um, and they have like uh, yeah the Dolly there and um, 
you can get a picture with Dolly. One of my friends sent me a selfie from the museum no of uh, him and Dolly the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it wasn't a cow, no. It wasn't a cow, no. It did, it did look more like a sheep, I have to say. Um, so, yeah, I think we, we only have uh, about you know, a few minutes left, like between five and ten minutes left. Yeah. But uh, I think one thing at least we should touch on is human genetic modification. Ooh. That's a that's a big one. Yeah. It's um, something that people probably feel quite strongly about, yeah. usually against. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you would, I think a lot of people would be inclined to agree with that. Um, because it's hard to imagine this future where, let's say we get genetic modification really right, there's no more off-target effects, it's all very mm-hmm. specific you know, I, I think it's hard for people to say, if you had this power, would you not use it to wipe out some, you know, really terrible diseases? That yeah. like, cause there are people, you know, who have these genetic diseases sometimes die really young, um, you know, or have problems with their memory or with their motor function, all these things. Would it not be much easier to just yeah. get rid of it? You get, get rid of all that, all that potential suffering. But then there are so many arguments, of course, around it because... Once you get this technology to work for whatever gene you want, that really does mean whatever gene you want and not just disease. Yeah. You you know, this whole designer babies idea of like, mm. are people going to eventually just going to be like, oh, I want my baby to have blue eyes and I want them yeah. to have this color hair. Um, like, like, can you really limit it to disease? I think with regulation, you kind of can. But once it becomes a technology that you can use, yeah. again, all it takes is a biohacker somewhere to say, I'm not just doing it for disease. Mm. Um and they can do that. So, you know, you can see how, in a way, it could lead to more inequality in the world because it might be a thing that only the richest people can access this technology yeah. where you make your, your child, you know, whatever way you want. And, you know, think people think of this dystopian future where you can modify intelligence and stuff, but it's important to remember that intelligence is not a very simple thing. Yeah, it's not <laughs> you simple. Know? No, um, it's not really thought to be... It, like a lot of it is either the whole nature versus nurture and a lot of it seems to be nurture yeah. with what we think is intelligence and if it is a genetic thing it's not like it's one gene you know there's exactly gonna it's going to so be a very complex involved. thing yeah so many variants big networks like everything and you know it's also influenced by like the way your brain would develop and like things like that so mm. yeah things like intelligence and stuff like that i don't think it'll be easy to modify anything like that but Maybe hair color. <laughs> color. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't mind blue eyes myself. <laughs> Bluer eyes. It's um, yeah. It, it it is very yeah. Et- but the thing is as well. Question. So that's very I think far far down the line. For yeah. Like big things like that. But they have been looking like gen- they have genetically modified embryos, things mm. like that, which again is very you know touchy subject. I suppose people you know are very for or very against. Um. And so you can take human em- embryo, not embryos, like eggs and human yeah. e- eggs and sperm, and, um, so that they'll be fertilized to produce a viable embryo. But it can't go past that stage. There, legally, there it, yeah, yeah, legally, yeah. it goes to a certain point where if you continue to grow the the eggs and or the embryo, like it's it's just completely illegal. Um, and yeah. maybe I don't know if it'll stay that way or because wasn't there a lot of that there was yeah that one case in china the first genetically modified baby that was apparently born and everything and so went all the way from modification to implantation in the womb to birth yeah um as far as i know i don't know if that's still the case but um the scientist not long after you know announced that he was you know the one who did it and then he disappeared 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's still been anything mm. heard from him. People don't know if he went into hiding, if the government shut him down, if he's in prison, if he's dead. Yeah. Um, it is a yeah strange thing. He was modifying a gene supposedly that was going to make uh, make people HIV resistant. Yeah. I think it was. It was. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. So allegedly for uh, a, a good purpose, but then again, you know that technology is something yeah. that still isn't fully exactly. And I, I think that there. well, like you're saying, a good purpose, like that idea, yeah, is nice. But we don't know, like whatever gene. The, the thing is that it, there's so many networks and so many things interacting, and uh, so many knock-on effects that I don't think personally that we understand enough about the human even not even just human just cells and cell biology in general to understand that if you manipulate one thing what are the knock-on effects yeah and like we are like slowly working our way through you know each gene like if i knock it out what happens if i mutate it what happens but there are just so many different possibilities of mutation of you know knockouts of everything you know genes yeah. being connected their regulation changing that I, I don't think that we understand it enough to implement it in any way mm. like that. And again, it is different to things like genetically modified plants because some people might be like saying now, oh, well, you're a hypocrite. Yeah, you exactly. say you're genetically modified plants. But yes. now we're talking about a human, you know, a conscious being that will have consequences. Whereas, well, yeah. you know, a plant... Um, of course, you and again, I it's going to be something that I, I know just you love. Plants. To know that I love plants. I know you love plants. <laughs> but I would still genetically modify them. I yeah, do that. exactly. But... Yeah, they, I think, but again, it's because we're going to be, you know, potentially whatever it is, like consuming the plant or something like that. Yeah. And it's not going to affect us. Whereas if you're modifying something human directly, yes. I think that needs a whole other level of regulation. Yeah, because that's a person. Yeah, like I think, but, well, I suppose when I'm thinking of like humans and like that, I'm thinking of um, developmental genes and stuff like that. Whereas mm. when we're thinking about plants. Yeah. I wasn't talking about true, yeah. developmental stuff. I was talking about just putting in a certain a gene protein to or, make yeah, that yeah, protein yeah. kind yes, of thing. That's true. Which I think it's is a safe. very different purpose. Well, I could be wrong, but I think it's safe. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah. I think that we are running up to running Yeah, time, I think right? that that's that's pretty much time. Yeah, we've been running. Um, and I and I think it's important to mention as well the fact that Amandine is in the middle of a project where she's genetically modifying plants. Yeah. Just full disclosure. Yeah, but I'm uh, making them re- well, I I actually won't tell you what I'm doing just in case. Oh, a very secret <laughs> research. Yeah, no, okay. It's, it's top secret, guys. But yeah, but <laughs> but they're being taken care of. They're not being harmed. Well, actually, no, Amandine wouldn't harm a plant. No, no, I wouldn't. Not intentionally. Anyway. No. Well, they're soaking in ethanol at the moment. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that note, uh, uh, th- thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Um, and we'll be back again next week. Yeah. So, so yeah, we'll see you then. Tune in then. <laughs> Bye, everyone.